Welcome to the Reimagined Teaching Podcast. I'm your host, Brittany Lang, and I am here today with uh, Misty Gorman, who is uh, a family friend. We've known each other a really long time, or at least you've known me probably longer. Um, but this is the first time we've got to like sit down and talk about education stuff, so I'm super excited. I feel like every podcast I introduce, I'm like, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It's true every time. <laughs> So thank you for joining me today. I'm so excited for our conversation. Thank you for having me. This is fun. Yeah, and I um, will say as part of my little intro that your family has been an awesome example for me and my family of foster care and loving on kids and their families. Um, And even though we have not had conversations about it, the way that you guys do that so well and you and your husband co-parent so well is just, it's so beautiful and cool and inspiring. And so I'm really excited that you are coming back to the classroom and then you get to be a role model and influence on me in that way too. So thank you so much for everything that you do and just being awesome. That's very kind of you to say. <laughs> and overwhelmed and all the things. Yeah, and I, I just feel like a hot mess. <laughs> So we are starting every podcast with positivity and what is something that's bringing you joy lately? Um, for me, I, this I feel like this is a constant looking back. Things that bring me joy is always being able to use my creative juices for whether it's te- teaching or crafting or with theater or makeup, all things creative that I have to like figure out on my own like without a whole lot of input I enjoy that and going back to the classroom just like lights up all of those things for me again yeah it's awesome yeah I this summer is the first summer in a couple years that I felt like I could be creative again and so just as far as the pandemic and then we were getting married and then there's just a lot of other stuff so I promised Joe when we started dating, I said I was going to make him a custom backpack to bring to his game nights, and that was wow. three years ago. <laughs> and this is not a project that'll take long. I just didn't have the capacity. So I finally am starting on that, and I'll have to show you. But we, um, I got this is my fabric to line it is um, That's fantastic. unicorn cats. Yeah. And so that was, I found that yesterday at the fabric store, the unicorn cats, and was like, the outside will look very serious, but the inside is unicorns, because why not? And that's what he gets for asking me and pestering me about custom things I promised, so. That's really fun. That's going to be cool. He'll love it. I know. He was like, on the inside? Why is that not the outside? (laughs) Oh, okay. Whatever. So that'll be fun. Um, so you are heading back into the classroom. How long have you been out of the classroom? Well, it depends on how you look at it. I don't feel like I've ever really left the classroom. It's just been teaching in different capacities and environments. Um, when I first graduated from college in 1998, ow, that's a long time ago, I immediately went into the public school um, environment. I was there for like, I want to think five years, I believe I was there. And then I taught in Texas in the Houston and Katy area. And then I taught in Kentucky 
for a few years, Central Kentucky, and then we moved. I went back to grad school full time for a year. <laughs> then I had my first son and we moved to Wisconsin. So from there, I started teaching preschool, which was completely out of my element. <laughs> I was elementary ed before with a minor in music. And so just that was a huge change. So I did that for a few years. I did like two-year-olds with their parents, like mommy and me classes. And then I did three-year-old preschool for a while. And then after that, I, well, I taught at church. I did some, like I did mops <laughs> teaching. Oh, that's you know, there was always like somewhere I was teaching and, um, I, then I did like theater for several years and assisted directed. Um, I really love musical theater. And then I taught, I've taught adults, <laughs> so many things. And then I did a year, six years ago, I was in um, a private school for one year. And I think it was there that I realized that um, public school is my jam. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, not that it was a bad experience. You know, the school is fine, all those things, but it's just not for me. I really love public school. And I think it's so important that we have excellent public schools for every child. And I don't feel like we do right now, you know, and there's right. no equity in learning and you know, for a long time, I keep, I've been thinking, I really want to get back. But then I had a child with medical needs. I did, so I did three years of subbing, which is fine, but it's not the same. I mean, you do, you can be somewhat creative, but it's just not the same. You don't get to know the kids. No. So then I, um, it just worked out this year that I could go back. And so I'm very excited, but it's been like 18 years since I've been part of a public school with my own classroom. <laughs> That's so exciting though. It is so exciting, yeah. Yeah, because I think as far as when we met, because my parents came up here about the time, a little bit after you guys did. Mm -hmm. But then you were doing mops. I think that's how you and Heather, I think Probably, she was part of that yes. a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And that's, but I, so I don't think you've actually been in public school even since I've known you, but that's super exciting. That'll be really it fun. Is. Um, yeah, it's gonna be your comment about like you've all you've been teaching though in some capacity. One of my friends that recorded an episode with me um, just finished her sixth year teaching and is stepping away from teaching because it's just been too much. So we did an episode about burnout, but that's one of the things she said was really comforting for her is that someone told her like you're not not teaching anymore. You're just not teaching in the public school system for a while, right? And whether that's okay. it's volunteering or do it like you can still mm -hmm. teach people all the time in a different capacity, but you don't have to like burn yourself out and kill yourself doing it. And she and said that I was did, really comforting for her. I did homeschool the last four years too. I left that out. <laughs> oh yeah. And you've been homeschooling. <laughs> yeah. Through COVID. Mm -hmm. And you had kids in the public school system during COVID too. I did. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Half your kids were in school, virtual learning, and the other half were yes. homeschooling. Mm -hmm. I'm sure that was always peaceful and productive. It was a crazy time. <laughs> and the the biggest thing I remember from all of that, even though it hasn't been that long ago, is our grocery bill doubled. 
That's what I remember. Because everyone Every was. I saw a child come out of their their um, den. <laughs> it was to eat. <laughs> and it's every yeah. hour because you're just stuck sitting. Right. Yeah. That True. was the one thing about going back after COVID. I was like, um, <laughs> I was like drinking five cups of tea a day and using the bathroom whenever I wanted. So being back mm. is not, <laughs> it was a weird adjustment. It's like, I don't, yeah. I liked the like snacks and tea between every class thing. I don't know what this is about. <laughs> All right. So what is your classroom going to look like? How is all your setup and prep going? Well, it's going. <laughs> <laughs> I am so grateful. I put out an Amazon wish list that all my friends were pushing me to do. I felt a little icky about it at first, but I'm really glad I did because I put some of my, like, the things that I would never purchase myself you know, yeah. items that I feel like will just in the, not only enhance learning, but help the kids feel part of a community. Yeah. And you'll be so, teaching what grade? Third grade. Third grade. Third grade. They're I fun. love third graders. I do too. I think they're just at such a pivotal time where they really want to learn and Life hasn't gotten too complicated yet. <laughs> mm -hmm. But they have personalities and they, they do. are uh -huh. so themselves. It's so fun. They it's are so a lot fun. of fun. <laughs> and my classroom setup will be, it's a kind of a boho thing because that fits me. And then it's, a, I have a lot of affirmations on the wall, which yeah. I love. Um, I like that in my home too, but. Not just like willy-nilly, that sounds cool, let's put it on the wall. It's stuff that we're actually using in the class with our social-emotional learning. Mm -hmm. And I, my hope is that they will remember it because they see it every day and will be able to internalize it. They'll see it and hear it from me. So that's my hope. I want it to be a place that's safe and comfortable and um, just a great learning place to learn. Awesome. I'm so excited for you. Yeah, we share our classroom. So we, as far as decorations and stuff, my coworker and I who share, we're both new last year and realized we both have cats and love cats. So we just like <laughs> full crazy cat lady. All of our like, right. posters and stuff are just cats. And the kids are like, I don't get it. And I'm like, oh, it's just cats. It's cat themed. It's I don't cats. Know. But I for, really our high, for our high schoolers, it's silly enough they're like the one poster my favorite poster is like a cat riding a sloth riding a dinosaur with like tacos flying in the air and they're like i don't get it i'm like i know it's just and so that's silly. the point it's so silly. I it's love something it. something to contemplate mm -hmm. <laughs> right so that's so fun yeah so we are going to talk today about reimagining differentiation Mm -hmm. Which, even though you have not been in public schools in 18 years, this is something that you have four kids who are all very different children. Mm -hmm. As the oldest of four kids, I know we are all very different. <laughs> and none of us were homeschooled, probably because we're all a little too different for any parent to handle. <laughs> but you have been parenting and homeschooling very different kids for 18 yes. years. Your oldest has just graduated. Yep. 
And so really that has been your life, even though you haven't been applying it in the classroom. I feel like I have to differentiate everything in our world. (laughs) I do. And I feel like differentiation has just been something that's always on my mind with my kids. I have my oldest, like you said, just graduated. He's 18. My youngest is six and going into kindergarten. So I do have a crazy range and my kids have, my older two have always been in public school. So, um, and of those four, three are neurodiverse. Mm -hmm. So it's a lot to think about. And even, even when you bring things down to skill levels in the home, you know, we always have to think through those things too and how to differentiate for each kid because what worked for one is not going to work for the next one. That's just a guarantee. Right. Anyway. <laughs> right. It's just not. So you got to rethink it. How does this kid tick and what are some things that they're good at and being able to pair those together? Yeah. So what is your, for people who are not used to all the teacher lingo, what is your definition of differentiation? Differentiation is... Okay, it's basically, well, I'll I'll read the definition. I pulled it up here just to read it, and then I'll tell you what I think. (laughs) Differentiation means tailoring instruction to meet individual needs. So that could be content, process, products, or the learning environment. Um, And flexible groupings that can change. And um, that's what a lot of people look at as a successful model for teaching for children. Yeah. How do you feel about that definition? (laughs) It makes it sound super simple. Mm. It does. And um, it does make it sound too, it's too simplistic. And um, not that teaching is, it can't be simplistic because I think that we do need to start more simplistic in our teaching, which I'll talk about in a bit. But, all of the groupings and the way things are done now in the current process to get to that differentiation is what I would like to reimagine. Mm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Because differentiation is we know kids have different needs. Yeah. And they, they, you know, do you think differentiation is, I mean, we have, I know your feelings on this, so it's kind of a leading question. Yeah, but sure. you're heading back to the classroom. We have required curriculum, required mm-hmm. assessments. And so, sadly, for our students, differentiation mm-hmm. is how do we get everyone to access the stuff that we have to access? Mm. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, which sucks, because sometimes it's uh-huh. not... Like, I was talking to one of my friends like I have a student who um as an ESL teacher I have to write language goals um and I had to write listening and speaking goals for a student who is deaf (laughs) oh gosh I can't write a listening goal for a student who's deaf he's never going to access this requirement no and there's no amount of differentiation that's going to get him to that but, but you still have to put it on there. I still had to fight with the state about why we didn't complete his language plan. And I was like, because he's, de- he's not listening. That's It's never going to happen. <laughs> like, But okay. so there is some issues with the requirements we have to begin with. But in general, mm-hmm. differentiation would be 
helping our students and giving them what they need to meet those requirements. Right. And it is, I do think it's hard for uh, most, well, really all teachers, but um, the school that I am going to be teaching is a charter. And I am happy to say that our curriculum does not match the rest of the um, districts. <laughs> so um, it's much more geared toward the way I teach. Mm. So I, you know, I felt like this school is a really great fit for me. Yeah. yeah. So as far as differentiation and, you know, we are going to try to help our students access what they need mm -hmm. to access. Um, but you were saying what you were interested in is how do we even know who to differentiate for or what, what the students' needs are? Right. I'll kind of peel it back a bit. Um, I believe, and this is my own experience with having my own children that um, are neurodiverse, our, our kids do not fit in a box, which I call the public school box, where you have all of the standards and all of these um, standards that we're supposed to, each child's supposed to meet. And I think that's backwards <laughs> of the way we should be teaching. First of all, we have to pull that kid out of the box, and throw the box away. <laughs> recycle then, it though. And recycle the box, very important. <laughs> and then make the box different. <laughs> For the kid should, a child should have the opportunity to start where they are. So the teacher meets the child where they are in their learning, let's say multiplication in third grade. You know, they did a little bit in second grade, and now it's time um, to completely understand what multiplication is and why we use it and, and how we use it in the everyday world. So there's, it's, you know, there are lots of things you need to learn about multiplication. So instead of saying, oh, they need to be able to multiply to 12 and know all their facts, and the prerequisite to that would be knowing all of their subtraction facts and addition facts. Why don't we meet that child where they are by seeing what they do know, you know, and I, what I see happening in the current differentiation um, world of public school is we test and we test periodically throughout the school year which sounds in theory like a brilliant idea to see what a child knows. But if you think about this, they are reading and answering multiple choice questions. So that's only one very small way, extremely small way of seeing what a child knows. And if that said child struggles with reading and comprehension, but really does understand the content, then that's not fair. That just really is not fair. So I just think we need to reimagine how we see what that child knows. One way to do that, in my opinion, <laughs> is to go back to, let me pull it up here. I know I pulled it up here. Like, I'm sure you remember from um, your early education classes, Maslow, Maslow's or Maslow's um, hierarchy of learning. Yep. Where 
for in order for a person to learn or a child to learn, the first thing in the um, triangle is they have to have their physiological needs met, like food, water, air, and their health needs met. Then next comes safety and then social, the need to feeling belonging, like they belong to a community and then self-esteem and then self-actualization where they can actually um, be creative and grow. But if those bottom needs are not met, <laughs> learning is not gonna happen. We can pretend all we want. We can put all the standards up and keep plowing through that curriculum. But if those needs aren't met, then none of the learning is going to happen. Right. That's just my opinion. Yeah. So, And we don't have a lot of – so it's been interesting switching from – because I, I skipped teaching middle school, but I did elementary for five years – well, did elementary for four years – um, and then switched back to high school, which was my original mm-hmm. degree. And elementary teachers, I feel like, understand a little bit better the importance of a safe classroom and building relationships with their Absolutely. students. And, mm-hmm. you know, doing things through play and different ways. At the high school, a lot of the people who come in to teach high school are like, I love math and I'm just here to teach math. And I'm not here to make friends with my students and I'm not here to feed them and I'm not, mm-hmm. but especially with how some of our students' emotional growth was studied through COVID, our freshmen mm-hmm. this year did not do well because they didn't right. feel like they belonged in their classroom and they didn't feel safe with their teachers. Mm-hmm. And it was a skill that the teacher didn't think was important to incorporate in the classroom. So exactly, I ended up with so many kids in my room because we make that a priority in our class. <laughs> and we, I mean, we, granola bars, ramen noodles, couches, yeah. our room is like the place to be. And then the kids actually wanted to come in and do their work. I mean, we had students who would not have passed classes if they couldn't come and sit with us. But it, mm-hmm. it's so sad that... I have to fight with other high school teachers right? to show them that this is, yeah, like you said, this is old, old research. Old Maslow <laughs> saying, yeah. if they're hungry, they're not going to learn. They can fake it, but they're not going to remember it. And if they don't feel safe with you, they're not going to listen to you. There's no demanding respect. It's mutual. Yeah. And um, it's so hard. It is so hard. But our society as a whole is so engaged in itself only. Mm-hmm. We need to have more of a global perspective of our classrooms, too, that we are all in this together. You know, this is it's we and us and not just me. So if the teacher is not willing to put themselves out there, then it's a huge wall <laughs> between these kids and learning. Yeah. And I even, you know, I did my student teaching in 2016. Yeah, I'm going mm-hmm. to my seventh year. And the the co-teachers I had, my student teaching experience was the worst however many months semester of my entire life. Um, and I worked with two teachers who were very, very close to retirement and very old school. And so I was continually told that the kids are not my friends, that I was being too personable, that I was telling them too much about myself. Um, I... <laughs> was going through a breakup like at like I started student teaching and then went through like an awful breakup and I mentioned to one of the kids you know they're like oh do you have a boyfriend I'm like no we just broke up 
And they're like, oh, how are you doing? Like, the kids wanted to know. Right. Because I was teaching high school, and I'm, you know, not much older than them. And I'm like, yeah, it was really hard, and talking through it with them. And I got yelled at by my cooperating teacher. But what a great learning opportunity that was for the kids, social-emotional learning. Say, I am going through a hard thing, but these are the things I'm doing for myself. Right. To get through it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I got yelled at by my cooperating teacher. But then when I did teach, I was thinking when you said third grade, I, when I did teach, co-teach with the third grade, those kids were so funny and they, they knew (laughs) I was dating Joe Mm -hmm. and they continually called him my husband. Like a slip of the, you know, oh, Miss Worley's husband. And I was like, no, not my husband. Like we have, and I like very silly and the teacher and I got along great. And so I like sat the whole, the whole class down, not just my kids. Need you to understand, I am Miss Worley because I am not married. And when that changes, I will let you know. Mm -hmm. But until then, if you feel like and are agreeing with me that I should be married because my boyfriend is the one dragging his feet, please feel free to write him a letter about why you think he should marry me. (laughs) That's fantastic. And I have have it. One girl who's, (laughs) mind you, she was partially illiterate was way behind in reading and writing worked really really hard and she during you know their breakfast one morning pulled out a piece of paper dear joe with the j backwards you yeah. need to give miss worley a ring already with a big picture of a wig <laughs> and so you know but it was so great because then they would you know we like let we you know over the weekend or every couple of weeks they'd ask like, so did he, I'm like, you will know, you will know when it happens. <laughs> but you connected with them on that. Yeah. You know, and how many others had moms who may be in the right. same situation or, you know, it just was a good relational point. Yeah. And the you. little kids are so fun because they get so excited about that kind of stuff. When he did finally propose, I brought in ring pops and joked that that was the ring he gave me. And they thought it was so, like, fun and silly. (laughs) But even with the high schoolers, it's a little bit harder because, I mean, you have teenagers, so you know. They are a little more closed off and nervous and not so willing to, like, spill the beans on their whole situation. And so sharing stuff like that, you know, yeah, I just got married. My Now Mm -hmm. the high schoolers are like, so you're going to have kids? Well, do you have younger brothers and siblings? Like, brothers and sisters, how do you feel about little kids? Like. (laughs) <laughs> and you know I don't know if our house is ready yet and that having those conversations with my high schoolers and letting them in on on my life has been great for building relationships what I think is hard okay. as far as differentiation and meeting needs is that everything in the school system is so data-based and everything. so I at the elementary level we give the map test it's reading and math mm-hmm. and it'll tell me this is exactly the skills the students are struggling with I have a website that's reading and math and here's the skills your students are struggling with um, we are supposed to write formative assessments that align with our standards and summatives that align with our standards and you'll see if you do your data correctly exactly which question types the students struggle with but there's mm-hmm. nothing for kind of two pieces academically there's not time and resources built in to um differentiate things like right we need them to a lot of the standards that come with our curriculum is like we need them to 
show their understanding of multiplication through manipulatives in a grid form. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if that form doesn't work, format doesn't work for that kid, they don't pass that portion of the math test. <laughs> right. And then on the other hand, we don't have the data about our students' social emotional needs. Mm-hmm. And some <laughs> of it's confidential and some of it, um, Brooke and I just did um, an episode about being trauma informed and like, I shouldn't have to tell all my co-teachers what stuff is going on in my student's life for them to understand sure. that the kid isn't having needs met and needs something different. Mm-hmm. But because we're so used to being data informed, like they really do want the bullet points of like, this is the stuff that the kid is going through that'll affect their learning. Mm. And then maybe they'll do something about it. But there isn't like a direct correlation between for a lot of teachers, it doesn't feel like there's a direct correlation between their family is chaotic, so here's things you can do. They're... Right. <laughs> well, and that goes back to, do we have the staff that are qualified to really get to know these children and help meet those social-emotional needs? I know the current school that I'm going to work in has its own social worker. How many schools have social workers? Not very many. No, and the, but those social workers know those kids. Yeah, the elementary I taught at had one person who was part-time social worker, part-time school psychologist, Mm-mm. and so she was responsible for all of the paperwork for both of those jobs, as well as trying to get to know students. Yeah, and, that's impossible job. Yeah, really, truly, you can't do both of those things. No, and for a lot of teachers. The class size alone makes it really difficult to differentiate. Mm -hmm. True. When you have, you know, 30 kids on a whole spectrum of academic ability that hopefully are supposed to all end up at the same place at the end of the year and a whole spectrum of behavior and social emotional needs, it's super overwhelming. It is super overwhelming. Absolutely. And that's why I believe we need to take this current testing, data-driven groupings and teaching and just throw it to the side. <laughs> I really do. I I don't see, like I have, my oldest had his senior year made straight A's. Um, he did take some honors classes. We don't do AP in my house. That's a whole other um, discussion. I'm not like throwing it all under the bus, but just, we just don't do it. And so he's a smart kid with academics and does well with that. But um, his testing didn't show that. Mm-hmm. None of them. It made him look like he was remedial for everything. So in his middle school time, I had to go into the school and talk to teachers. And the teachers said they would back me up and putting him in the honors program. But it took two years of me fighting to get him in that honors program because he wasn't being challenged right. at all. And he really needed another level of learning in middle school. I mean, so then come high school, I didn't have any problems getting him in there. But they still would always look at you like, really? Right. I said, I have his map scores. I said, I just don't care about map scores. <laughs> I'm sorry. I just don't care for my kid. It's like, yeah. I just want him to be challenged. I don't care if he makes straight A's. Right. 
Um, I just, I want him to be able to progress. Um, so he did, but it was me going and advocating for him. And I don't think he's the only kid like that. Mm-hmm. I feel like there are a lot of kids that have test anxiety. And I also don't think we're testing the right things or the right way. We need more people who can um, sit with kids and I know this is going to be a huge challenge for me. I have all these ideas and thoughts in my head of how I would do it. And I know that there were some ways that I did it early on where we would set in groups and show what we learned mm-hmm. and the way we show it. You know, there isn't one way to do a math problem. We all know that. Yeah. So it's always good to listen to the kids. I love the number taught philosophy, you know that the kid can actually show you how they got to the answer, but maybe can't, but they can't show that on the test. And it may just be that they subtracted wrong, right? (laughs) you know, but they understand the process. So that's, I don't, to me, it's just, we're doing too many things that, and, and using too much of the kid's time and the teacher's teaching time to, um, drive everything by data. And um, it really, we need to be spending those times getting to know the kids and meeting those hierarchy needs that we talked about, making sure those are met for kids so that they are set up for learning. Right. Otherwise we're doing this, we're just spinning our wheels. Yeah, we, so this year I taught high school algebra one first hour at 7.30 in the morning with a bunch of freshmen and (laughs) And the time thing was at one piece. So they want all the high school math teachers or all the algebra one math teachers to be on the same pacing schedule, you know, testing, mm-hmm. finishing the unit at roughly the same time. My students took two to three times longer to take their math test. Um, the math test was typically 25 to 30 questions that all mm-hmm. had to be, it was all multiple choice and had to be like written out and solved. And like you said, if they did one part wrong, like, one part of the subtraction wrong the whole thing's wrong Mm -hmm. and um and nobody wants to take a test at 7 30 in the morning no but so we're spending you know half of our week just doing the test and one of the things that you know as far as differentiation and stuff like my students really struggled with being prepared for a test Mm. i would off i would make notes and give them notes but I would have to like multi- like I would hand out calculators and notes mm-hmm. and get a pencil out because this one you have to do on paper to get the right answer and make sure you have paper out or I'll hand you paper. Yes. And even with all the materials in front of them, didn't know how to use the materials they had mm-hmm. to do the test. Uh, and so we were spending three days for most of them to fail the test anyway. Mm. Why, why do we need five questions that are testing the same thing over and over again? Right. When I knew on the first one, the kid didn't get it. <laughs> like, yes. What a waste of my time and their time and the teacher who was grading it, their time. I, we knew from the start, they didn't get it. Can we like move on? And then part of it too is I, a differentiation is such a buzzword mm-hmm. of like, you know, kids need different things to reach, but we aren't given the time to differentiate exactly and then if the kid i mean just period so for my students they didn't get it i knew before we took the test the test wasn't going to go well but we didn't have time 
to slow down and do it different ways. Right. And that's something that I learned homeschooling. When I, my daughter was in first grade and she just kept going backwards in her classroom and she had wonderful teachers, but there were so many kids in the class. I think there were 32 in her class, Mm -hmm. first grade. And her teacher who is amazing and he is just wonderful. And he said, I cannot keep my head above water with these kids. He had a lot of behavioral needs in the class. My daughter, one of them. So, you know, you're just up against this brick wall of, well, I can't do this. You know, I can't build relationships with all of these children, which I felt like he did an amazing job doing that. But I could just see her falling, just completely falling backwards and um, not progressing at all. So that's when we did neuropsych testing and I pulled her home. Now, she's going into sixth grade (laughs) and she is a good solid third grade level. And she is slow to process. A lot of our kids are slow to process because of trauma or medical needs and all these other things. So why are we expecting, why are we setting them up to fail? Right. And um, so she was one that I really learned. I felt like I spent the most time working on differentiation for her. Okay, well, we did it this way. This is not working. (laughs) You know, arrays, she could not do that. And then I figured out what I was like, this thing is like the simplest thing. I even drew like the had the bubbles, you know, like the circles laminated and we're using buttons to put them in. And like she can, you know, this is so simple. I'm doing the bulk of this for you. But she has ADHD and her executive functioning is her worst. <laughs> it's her worst Um I hate to say worse, but that's the, I mean, she really, I think she scored a two in executive functioning on her neuropsych testing. So how can she put these things in the right order? She would still end up with more in one circle than the other. So we had to completely change the way we did it for her to understand what um, multiplication was. And it took a long time, but she has to know that that's foundational. You know, math is, you know, stair steps. You're constantly adding something. And if there's something broken in there and we just keep going forward and going forward, I mean, I'm not saying that you can't always go on. Sometimes you can with things, but I just feel math is so important that you get that foundation built um, of number operations and how numbers work and, you know, all of that, that it's, it's hard for those kids to do otherwise yeah and I feel like when it comes to differentiation one of the struggles especially newer teachers have is you know you come in and you are handed a a curriculum and this is what we're going to teach and how we're going to teach it and you realize Mm. it's not working for your students Mm. and then what else do you do and in within the school a lot of times you have to work really hard to find teachers who are willing to work outside the system and give you tips that are outside the you know, we're supposed to be teaching a race like this. I don't even know it's another way to, but I don't even know another way to teach it. Sure. A lot of teaching now kind of takes away the creativity from classroom teachers. You don't have a lot of flexibility and creativity in how you teach things. True. So then when you do have students where what you've been handed isn't working, 
we just don't have the time or energy or resources to think of a different way to do it. Mm. That It's true. I mean, I think that's a huge problem. And you should be able to ask the, like the math teacher should be able to tell you another way and show you and so you can apply it to the child. You should have that resource. But I do agree. I think that um, especially teachers in your position, I think always think of special ed teachers and ELL teachers, all of you, you're really supposed to know everything. <laughs> and it's impossible. So you should be relying heavily on those math or social studies teachers to give you um, information. And you should be able to go outside the curriculum and find what works. I think that's the whole point. Of, what the whole point of differentiation is to meet that child's needs, whatever it is that they can't do. And you have to be able to do that in any. I just think there should just be open ended. Like this isn't yeah. working. Let's try the next thing and the next thing. Yeah. But going back to homeschooling with my daughter too, who processes slow, we had, I had to pull back on everything in our pace because her needs had not been met either because she was adopted and she had all this trauma in her first grade year, her birth mother passed away, which was a huge, um, another trauma really for her. We were very close to her. So at that point in time, her learning just was not happening. So we spent, we have spent the last four years in weekly therapies of different kinds. And I'm so glad that we took that time because I can say now that she feels safe and I can say that um, she feels like she's part of her, a part of our, our family. Um, so she feels like she belongs. I know all of her physical needs are being met. And now I am seeing the fruit of that. She is really coming to her own starting in sixth grade. But four so, years is a long time. It's a long time. <laughs> it is. That's a lot. I mean, it's I have not been in one school for four years consecutively yet. I was at the elementary school I was at for three. So I saw them and I get to follow my kids, which is kind of nice. So I had third, fourth, and fifth grade and got to see some amazing growth. But that felt like the law. I mean, the kid from mm-hmm. third to fifth grade, I'm like, oh, we're still not there. I, the, those four poor fifth graders went to middle school and I wrote a book on each kid for the middle school teachers because I was like, yeah. let me tell you. But four years is a long time. And a lot of teachers don't, we don't get they to don't see. They don't get to do that. No. But if we reimagine <laughs> these kids and making sure that all of these other needs are met first in our classrooms and we're building relationship, you are very lucky to have that time with kids and building relationship. And granted, we don't have that long. These kids in there that long. But if we work really hard at that first um, and that that's always part of the discussion if it's and how we discipline and how we um approach learning i think that we can interweave those skills in there at the same time we are teaching arrays or whatever we can but it's all about we have to (laughs) do this it's really a lot on the teacher 
Yeah. It really is. And I appreciate what you said about like ESL teachers having to do know and do all the things. Because I felt that this year. Like the math teachers would come and be like, well, they're not getting it. What do I do? I don't know. I have not taken Algebra 1 in right. 10 years. How am I uh, supposed to know another way to teach Algebra 1? I've never taught it before. I don't have a math degree. Like, mm-hmm. I would hope that you had other suggestions because this is not my forte. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really was like I had to try to come up with another way to teach it or to assess it and stuff, um, which takes a lot of creativity and energy that yes. I and the energy to get to know those teachers. Like you're going to have to build a relationship there in order to be successful with your kids. That's a lot. And some people are more up for that than others. Yeah. So what is your, I always like to do the reimagine part in two pieces. Cause there's, there's sure. one piece of given all of like, if I handed the whole, our whole public school system over to Misty Gorman, what is reimagine <laughs> differentiation look like? on a large scale systemic Community. yeah what does that, that look like well for me <laughs> i guess the whole if you pull it all the way out to the district level i think the whole philosophy of the district would have to be community driven like we are a district of learners and we um foster these things in our community. Um, And I do believe that that means social workers at every school, if, and depending on the size of the school, more than one. (laughs) And I think depending on the need of the school too, at the elementary. Exactly. Because our, our school system, our district is set up in neighborhoods and they're Mm -hmm. just, but all the elementary schools get the same amount of um, admin and resources. Roughly. Hmm? Even though some of our schools may need more social workers and more admin. Even though there could be a smaller population. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> we might need more time, even though we have fewer students. Mm-hmm. That's something I saw at the elementary school I was at. We just did not have enough the resources. resources. And we were told that we had more than other elementary schools, so we should be fine. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not equitable, though. Right. I mean, it isn't. That isn't equitable learning for these kids. And I do believe that the social emotional piece is so huge and needs to be the basis for everything we do in a school community. But going back to that district level, I also believe each school, like you said, they need to have the resources they need. We need more teachers and that are trained in trauma and social emotional learning who are ready to um, weave it into everything they do. Um, we have to have and all the way to the high school level. Those kids need social emotional learning. They're going through some really hard times and don't know who they are and all of these things. And we need to um, I, I just think if we had more of that as a foundation for the whole district, that things could just look so differently. And I think one of the struggles I had as someone who, I love the social emotional stuff I got to do at the elementary level. I have a mm-hmm. master's degree in trauma-informed teaching. I'm all about it. <laughs> one of the things I struggle with is the teacher, there are a lot of teachers who just think that's a bunch of crap. I know. <laughs> and when it's when it's not a 
district expectation or policy, then they get to teach and disagree with all the things that I firmly believe at my core are going to make our students better learners. The other teachers I work with get to just be like, yeah, no. And when it's... That's, yeah. And if you think about working in like a corporation, they all have their own philosophies and culture that they build, some better than others. But um, there's accountability there. And I think we're lacking that in the school setting. And I know I've worked in schools that I wish there was more accountability for me. Like even like having those resources of, okay, I really need help in this area. Like science is not my jam. I'm just going to say it. I am a theater girl. I am all things books and reading. So when we get to science, I get a, I have a bit of a block there. And I'm really excited this afternoon. I have some training and all the STEM stuff, but it's how to teach in my classroom and facilitate the children to find the answer that I'm not supposed to tell them everything, which is really good. Because I didn't know anyway. I don't. I don't have a lot of knowledge there. It doesn't stick. I will say, I'll do a little. My friend, my best friends, they have a pet hedgehog. So when I taught third grade, I snuck the hedgehog into school one day. That's so fun. So we did a bunch of research leading up to it, and I told them like, I think this animal's really cool. Let's read about it. And then I snuck the hedgehog into school. That's the best. And he's small enough to fit in my pocket. So I literally like just pulled him out of my pocket during small group, (laughs) and was like, so this is Magnus. But then we like wrote we wrote an email to my friend with the questions we still had about caring for hedgehogs and stuff. That's and then she she was willing to reply to all my little kids' emails. So I'm sure if you need a little sneaky uh, guest speaker, Magnus the Hedgehog is available. I'm sure that's wonderful. Yeah, (laughs) I would love to meet him. That was one of the best. And then like he was hiding, and the principal came by. I was like, I heard you have a guest speaker today, and I was like. Nope. nope. Absolutely not. <laughs> Which the kids love that. Oh my gosh. I thought they thought that they thought that was amazing. That they were like were yeah. sneaking. <laughs> yeah. I literally like they're like, Can you can you bring them to our class to show the rest of the kids? And I said, I can, but you have to be really quiet. And I literally stuck the hedgehog in my pocket. Oh, so cute. <laughs> and we just walked down the hallway and they the whole walk back to their class are like giggling hysterically. <laughs> and everyone's like, What's going on? I'm like, I don't, it's Friday. They are on something. <laughs> it was so fun but then they did so because I taught small groups so we went back to their classroom and then they all the kids who had been in my small groups the teacher called them up to the front and was like well what did you learn about hedgehogs and they were able to give a little verbal report about like hedgehogs cover themselves in poisons and they're like not that one though pet hedgehogs don't do that because they're not in danger like it was so cute and fun to like and that's one of the things I love about being a teacher is that yeah that lesson they remembered they don't remember the reading about hedgehogs, but they remember the day I snuck the hedgehog into school. <laughs> exactly. And then all of that learning came to fruition. Yeah. For those kids. That's beautiful. I love that. But yeah, but I, yeah I would I would definitely just I think for anything would be the foundation has to be social emotional. Yeah. So on a individual level, as a teacher cutting back like, what can we do to make differentiation for our students better? I, I really, it all comes back to relationship. If you don't have a relationship with that child, they are not going to open up 
to you and tell you they don't understand. They're not going to come to you when they're stuck on something. They don't, they don't trust you. And that comes back to that hierarchy of learning too. It's like the sa- they don't feel safe in your classroom if you're a yeller. Like I had a kid who was in a class with a teacher who I love her. I know her personally. She's wonderful and she teaches. Like she's a great teacher, but she's really loud. So I just had to teach my kid, look, she's not yelling at you. She really is just a loud person. So you're going to have to kind of change your way. And then that, then she was able to have a relationship with that teacher once she got over the hump. But it's all these things that we do too. We have to be aware of that. If there's a kid who's just not opening up to us, there's a reason. And it's up to us to figure that out. I think a lot of times we just want to blame the kids, which is an easy way out, in my opinion. It's like, oh, I just have a class of really rough kids. Well, those kids are still just individual kids, and we need to look at them that way. And none of this is on them. It's all on you and how you handle it. I, too, have been really lucky in that when I've had students that I've struggled to build a relationship with, I've always had coworkers and team members that are willing to have that conversation for me. Um, yeah. Because there's yeah. sometimes, like, if I try to ask a kid, like, what's your issue with me? It's not, that's not a productive conversation. So if I can say, hey, you know, Missy, this kid is struggling in my class and has an attitude. Can you ask the kid how, you know, if they feel comfortable in my room and can you, and my coworkers will. Mm -hmm. So I had a student this year who like wrote me a note to say she didn't like my classroom, that I'm mean, this, that, and the other. And I tried to have that conversation and it wasn't productive. So my coworker did like, what is Mm -hmm. it? You know, I'm, I can be really sarcastic and sassy, which most of the high school kids Mm -hmm. like, like it didn't work for this kid. And so I had to, um, you know, adjust how I talked to the kid. But my coworker is the one who had that conversation with the student because I didn't have enough of a relationship to even have that conversation. And that's wonderful that you had someone else who could swoop in and say, hey, let me just tell you a little more about Brittany. <laughs> right. That's really and that's great. what my coworker did, too. She was like, you know, because they're like, oh, Miss Lang is so mean. And she was like you know, you understand, like, you have Miss Lang at the end of the day, and mm. she's just tired. And yeah. sometimes people are cranky when they're tired. And, uh-huh. you know, and I, with those kids, I had a lot of freshmen, and then two students, who were, these two kids who were older, and they were, they felt like I was being unfair calling, calling them out. And so she said, mm-hmm. she's like, but Miss Lang is right. You are the oldest kids in the class, and so there is some responsibility. But to back me up and have that conversation with the student was great. Um, so mm-hmm. last yeah. thing before we go. What is your, like, go-to favorite ways to build relationships with students? Hmm. Oh, that's fun. If you were going to make your little, like, teachers pay teachers, this is how to do it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I, th- I like, like, especially in the beginning, which will be starting soon, I think it has to start, you have to start small. Like, let's say that you notice that the kid wears Scooby-Doo t-shirts all the time. That would be my son. You just notice that. So then you just start talking shop every once in a while, maybe let um, a phrase come out while you're teaching or something. And then the kid notices, you know, and then you can 
you know, point something out that you saw that was with Scooby-Doo, whatever, you watch Scooby-Doo with your son. I, I think you start little like that to get them engaged. And then I feel like we have got to watch as teachers how much affirmation we're giving to our kids. It's like it has to outweigh all of the negatives. And you can't build a relationship with the kids you're constantly telling them what they're doing wrong. Like, I don't like that. You're not going to be my friend if you're only telling me all the wrong things that I do. Okay. So we we have to treat the kids like you want to be treated in that. So looking for the good is so important with any relationship. And I think it's good to teach the kids how to do that as well. Yeah. Like, you know, I've noticed that you are really good at getting a group together and being a leader. Yeah. You know, they need to hear that. And so I think those are the small ways in the beginning. I think as time goes on, you can go to soccer um, games and do other things um, to go that extra mile. I think it's so important. Yeah. I think start of the year stuff is really hard because there's so much like for teachers, like this is how you get to know your students and start right. the year off strong. And the kids see right through it. They do. Like, it has to be authentic. I'm going to give you five questions and then I'm never going to look at it. The kids are like, why am I doing this? Like, <laughs> right. Right. So I think authentic and I, a lot of conversations I have, especially with teachers who are younger than me, because they'll be like, oh, I found this amazing thing. And I'm like, is that something that, like, are you excited about it? Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to play this get to know you game. Do you as a teacher, is that how your style is? Like, are you invested? Because mm-hmm. if you're not and it's not your style, it's not going to work. The kids are going to know. And it's going to fall apart. I have been doing a lot of reading about this lately because I do believe it's so important. And one thing I had saw, which I know is a little nerdy, but I can be a little nerdy, is I is keeping track and having a clipboard that I or um, a binder that I keep this stuff in that every once in a while I will put in there, let's say, Joey, like Scooby-Doo. I'll just put Scooby-Doo next to his name. And pretty soon you have a list to build on with those kids. Because it's hard. Girl, I'm over 40. It's hard to remember things. <laughs> and I think it is for all of us. We have to have know so much going in the classroom. that it's good to have, like, those little cheat sheets, you know. And um, I just think only good could come from that is just making those little notes. Or you called somebody a leader. Well, then build on that. Don't just say it one time. Yeah. Use them as a leader in the classroom and build from that. So I I had seen that. I thought that's really clever and so simple. Yeah. I think my favorite right at the beginning of the year is I always have a, just one slide of this is who I am. Mm-hmm. And I like to yes. do – I do pictures of my cats, of my family. Mm. Um, last year we adopted my little brother. So I had a picture yeah. of all of us kids up. And they get, you know, they get to see about me. And mm-hmm. then – building relationships but without asking the kids to volunteer anything so they get to say oh those are all the siblings you have yep like oh yeah i have a lot of kids Mm -hmm. you know right i have cats i have you know my husband we play we're super nerdy we play video games and like the boys in my class who play video games love it what games do you play what's your setup and we can talk about that and but just to volunteer information first especially with the older kids has been Mm -hmm. the best way for me to build a relationship with them without 
And I don't like that whole, like your teacher has talked to you before about having this barrier or wall. you're telling them too much. Well, yes, there are things that are not age appropriate. Right. <laughs> that you can tell your kid, you, you shouldn't be telling your kids. However, I think it's good to say, you know, you come in, you have a Band-Aid on your arm because you had um, given blood or you had a test or something. Then my kid who has sickle cell sees that and then she automatically wants to know. If you if you had blood work done. Right. And that would be a point for her of like a relationship point for her. Right. That, oh, she's had to have that before too. Right. So I just think we've got to stop this well, we're the adult and they're the child business and really start building relationships from from commonalities. Yeah. And for me, it, my school year, my, all my time is spent with now high school kids. And mm-hmm. I am an extrovert. I would be miserable if I didn't have some sort of relationship mm-hmm. with the kids that I'm spending all of my time with. <laughs> right. Like, right. my life would be so boring if I was like, I'm only here to teach you. And like, no, yeah, there's boring. nothing. For me, there's nothing fun in that. <laughs> no, but it is. It's all about relationship. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much um, for recording. I... I'm so grateful for your time because I know it's very valuable when you are as busy as your household is. Um, But I appreciate you coming and chatting. Thank you for having me on. This is a lot of fun.